Welcome to Royals Review Radio. Uh, we are the uh, Royals SB Nation series of blogs, obviously covering the Royals. I'm your usual co-host, uh, Sean Newkirk, here without Matthew Lamar tonight. Uh, joined by three esteemed writers on Royals Review. Uh, first off is managing editor, chief overlord, uh, our master, uh, Max Reaper. Max? Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, we've got... In Kansas City now, formerly our East Coast reporter, but now here back in Kansas City, uh, Mr. Josh Ward. Joshua. Hey, how's it going? Good. And then uh, finally, uh, old man Josh Dugan with us as well. Hello. Here we go. Um, so, fellas, not not a lot of action, uh, which is kind of makes sense. Uh, we, our last podcast, we covered the World Series. Uh, this one we kind of covered a few weeks after the World Series, and it's usually pretty slow. A lot of procedural things. Uh, the most maybe relevant thing that comes after the World Series, or the few several weeks after, is the the voting. Uh, the Cy Young, the MVP, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, everything uh, was voted on. Um, first off, the one that I I like the least, I think, is just the most pointless one, is the Manager of the Year voting. Uh, Ned Yost, of course, did not win that one. Um, Fellas, would you, any of you guys have voted for, for Ned Yost? Or, I mean, if you had to vote. I know, I think two of us here really would abstain from it. But uh, Ned Yost, any consideration for that from you guys? I'd give him some strong consideration. I don't I don't know if I'd give him, him number one, but I think he definitely should have been in the top three. Uh, I mean, I think the, the manager of the year award, I mean, Tony Pena won it in 2003, which should tell you about how seriously we should take the award. But it seems to be it's just a kind of pat on the back of, hey, your team didn't stink as much as we thought it would this year. Good yeah. job. Uh, because, you know, Jeff Bannister won in Texas, and, you know, they made the playoffs, and they, but they won 88 games. But the voters were pretty much just congratulating him for not finishing last place like a lot of people thought Texas would this year. Uh, and that seems to be how it goes with these awards a lot of time. Uh, Paul Molitor finished second, I think, and he, you know, the Twins were supposed to be last place team, mm-hmm. and he got he got him within you know, semi-contention at least. But, you know, the Royals weren't exactly big favorites to win the pennant this year or even finish in the playoffs. And to not only be in contention but have the most wins in the American League, I think should count for a lot. Uh, You know, I don't think necessarily you should give it to the guy that won the most games every year, but I think that should weigh pretty heavily. Uh, And in this case, that was Ned Yost, and in this case it was a guy that exceeded expectations quite a bit. So... You know, does Ned Yost make a lot of baffling moves? Sure, uh, but I think so do a lot of other managers. I, I bet Jeff Banneter made a lot of baffling moves this yeah. year as well. So I don't think we're looking at, you know, Rob Nyer and Joe Posnanski both have pretty decent comms. That basically said we should probably start thinking about the award a little bit differently, at least thinking about it a little bit more uh, in-depth than we do now and right now. Because right now we're just kind of saying, oh, you know, good job not, not stinking this year. Yeah, and and to to go off of that, in the Posnanski article, he mentioned that uh, I think it was something along the lines of sixty percent of the time, the person who won Manager of the Year received zero votes the following year, which pretty much tells you kind of the uh, pointlessness, more or less, of the award when you can go from being presumably the best manager in the league one year, and then the following year you get no consideration whatsoever because it's almost entirely based on preseason expectation and team performance which 
most people will tell you that managers have little to no influence on throughout the course of a season, or if they do, it's it's very marginal and particularly hard to measure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think Ned Yost should have won, um, but the fact that he didn't isn't a big deal because the award itself is kind of pointless. I might have voted for him, too. I mean, the award doesn't mean anything, but I I didn't really see how... Certainly, he should have been a finalist. Uh, and I, if I remember correctly, he wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the award's meaningless. That it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he finished sixth. Sixth overall, behind uh, yeah. Girardi, Gibbons, Molitor, Hinch, Bannister. So, really wasn't because that makes sense. Yeah. Right. And... Uh, yeah, and, and how do you even vote on that? What's best man? I mean, what's the criteria? Most wins? Because if it's most wins, you just give it to whoever has most wins. So it seems like they look at it as of, hey, your team was supposed to not be good this year. You were better than expected. Here's your manager of the year award, essentially. Or who yeah. who was the best for a team that stunk? And um, I think Bannister, I think I agree with that. I think Bannister was, as far as team that was probably going to stink, uh, that ended up being you know good, made the playoffs. Uh, I think Bannister probably should win it. I don't know about Joe Madden. Um, I thought. I mean, the Cubs. Uh, anybody who said the Cubs weren't going to be good, you know, looking at the roster and the performance they got, it's tough to. It's tough to do that, you know, because that's the problem with this Manager of the Year award is, it's it's using preseason expectations and then, you know, applying those to the current season. So, you know, if the Royals traded for Mike Trout and five other stars, you know, in July, well, you don't know that's going to happen in April. Um, the preseason right. expectations. So. There's kind of a, a loss on that, too. And a common shorthand that a lot of people use sometimes is to look at uh, how much you over exceeded your Pythagorean expectation. Yeah, sure. And in that case, the Royals, you know, their Pythagorean record would have been 90 and 72. They actually finished five wins better than that. That's uh, I'm looking around the standings. It looks like that's the tied for the best yeah. in the American League with Texas and Jeff Bannister. Uh, so that that would be an indication that, uh, that, that perhaps uh, – uh, Nedio did a pretty good job. Actually, that would be second behind the Angels, who actually finished six wins better than their expectations. So maybe uh, Mike Sosha, who's embattled all year, maybe should have gotten more, more support. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they 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 absolutely killed their base run uh, expected uh, record too. I think they were they were number one uh, or maybe number two right behind uh, St. Louis, but they were well above kind of the the, the luck free outcome as they would call it so mm-hmm. yeah um but another kind of voting though um in better kind of fortunes at least wade davis uh finished sixth place in the cyan voting uh that's that's pretty good for for a reliever there you know i i think it would have been crazy had he won the Cy Young, but uh sixth place respectable showing especially for a reliever the thing that i don't understand about this is uh he finished sixth in Cy Young voting but didn't win the Rivera Award or Reliever of the Year. Yes. Despite being the best, despite being the highest voted reliever in the Cy Young voting. By far. Saves. Right. So just give it to the person who has the most. I mean, if that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm with you guys there. It is a different group of voters, too. The Reliever of the Year is, is made up of former players, I believe. Whereas the you know the baseball writers of America vote on the Cy Young, so it could be, huh. you know, form, and I you know I don't remember the Mariano Rivera Award. I think specifically is, is supposed to uh, focus on closers, I believe. 
Right. So there's, I think there's a higher emphasis on saves, which Wade Davis only had 17, I think, this year. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's silly. <laughs> yeah, it says, though all relief pitchers are eligible, all recipients of the award have been closers. So okay. I don't think there's a specific thing. They have to be closers, but everybody who has won it has been a quote-unquote closer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the panel is Mariano Rivera... Trevor Hoffman, Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Sutters, Lee Smith, John Franco, Billy Wagner. So, I don't know what that means, how they're qualified necessarily, but they're closers, I guess. Right, and I and I said this the last time that I was on um, the podcast with you that Wade Davis has been historically good. Yes, the past two seasons. Which so it's just weird for him to see to get recognition amongst one body of voters, and then to not receive recognition from what you would assume at least a similar mindset, if not the exact same voters. Sure. Um, I mean, Davis's ERA plus this season was four hundred and forty-four, and his ERA plus last year was three ninety-six, and he's. The only player to do that, the only pitcher to have ERA pluses that high. So it's, you know, to do it twice, to have an ERA plus of, I think it's 350 or better, he's the only pitcher to do that twice. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just weird to see him show up, you know, he made the All-Star game, finished sixth in Cy Young voting, uh, finished top 30 in the MVP voting was not the reliever of the year. Yeah. So it's it's just unusual. And Miller had a one nine ERA. Davis had a point nine ERA. So he had him beat by a whole a whole run. Uh, yeah. which is which is big. I mean and you know, he did have seventeen saves, Davis did. Ah. So I think we can agree that I don't know. Much like other awards, that reward doesn't always make sense. Well you could argue Batances is better than Miller. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Miller, Miller's not even necessarily the best reliever on his team. Right. Yeah, so there's... It's just another one of those cases of... Obvious, I mean, Miller pitches in New York. He's going to get the coverage. So it's... Not, not that there's necessarily any sort of particular bias. I mean, the Royals got plenty of coverage this season between having the best record and, you know, winning the playoffs. So um, it's just it's just interesting. And I, I mean, obviously, personally, I would have voted for Wade Davis. But I also would have voted for Zach Greinke for the NL Cy Young. So. Same here. Yeah, I think I would have too. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting. And uh, final award that a royal, well, and besides all the other gold gloves, um, Lorenzo Cain got a third place finish in the mm-hmm. AL MVP. That's what's the highest? What's the highest the Royal has finished recently? I can't think of anybody doing better than that. Did Zach Grinky get some MVP votes when, during his Cy Young season? The yeah, only, but wasn't it like seventh or something? The only one I can remember is Alex Gordon finishing tenth. I think it was. Two years ago? Yeah, let's see. Two or three years ago? I know it was the highest finish by any royal. Like, only top five finished since, like, 1985. Yeah. George Brett finished second. Uh, 
Gorn finished 12th a couple years ago. There you go. Yeah, let's see. doesn't look like anything. I'm just looking back here. Yeah, it looks like it's been a while, and that's pretty dang good. And um, You know, Trout, obviously got second place again. Uh, Josh Donaldson won it. If you guys had your preference, who's your winner for that one there, Donaldson or, or Trout? Trout. I'd have gone I, Donaldson. I think I would have gone Trout, but I, I'm pretty cool either way. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's a wrong answer between the two of them. Um, I just think that there's this weird. It's it's almost like Mike Trout's too good to be believable. So huh. when he does, when he performs as well as he has over the past two seasons, um, it's almost like they. Everybody understands how good Mike Trout is, so they don't need to give him an award. As a, as opposed to a guy like Donaldson who had a really good season. Yeah, well, it's but like Trout a, also it, faded down the stretch for two straight years. And yeah, I mean, I not to, obviously we're dealing with dumb sample size issues and whatever, but he has faded two straight years now, so it's mm-hmm. not exactly impossible to argue that like Trout's hurting himself by you know having putting up weak August and September. Right, and I mean there is obviously, and there's also team performance bias. Yeah. And well, f- and you've got WPA that favors that, I believe, I maybe, I'm going off the top of my head here, but I'm pretty sure WPA actually favors uh, Donaldson this year. Yeah, I think it did. Let's look. Um, and you're right, on, on there's, there is some recency, recency bias there because a team or a voter would remember voting in September. He would remember what Player A did in August and September than what player A did, you know, or player B did in uh, April. You know, yeah. the guy, they could have just as good as April as the other guy has in September, but the voter will remember September more than April. And surprisingly, Nelson Cruz, by the way, I wanted to bring this up, which is insane. <laughs> uh, Nelson Cruz got more, got a, thir- got a third place, excuse me, he got a second place vote. Uh, yeah. Someone voted Cruz over Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, whoever that is, only has access to RBIs and home runs. I'm assuming that's the. Only he thing. actually defended his vote by tweeting that he said, "Well, you guys think my vote is so crazy? Look at these numbers." And he cited batting average, home run, RBI, and Cruz's ah, numbers right. are similar to Trout's, I suppose. But it's yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. He also had a, I, I believe his whole entire ballot was kind of ridiculous. I can't remember exactly what it had, but uh, uh, yeah, I think he had Jose Abreu and JD Martinez pretty high up there too. Is, it was it was an interesting interesting ballot. It was Chris Chris Assenheimer of uh, the yeah. Chronicle Telegram in Cleveland. Right, he had Donaldson, Cruz, Trout, Kane, Fielder. Uh, <laughs> so, but basically everybody almost unanimously across the board had Kane third, except for yeah. I think everybody in the AL, all the AL voters had, or excuse me, all the Central voters had Kane third, except for Cleveland. They voted Trout and Batista. Uh, but nice little show of unity there between mm-hmm. the AL Central guys. There is one thing that does hold Trout back, and I'm I not a big fan of using counting stats to decide awards for productivity, specifically RBI when it relies so much on teammates. But I mean, if you just are looking at stats and you are comparing numbers across the board, seeing that Mike Trout only had 90 RBI this season as opposed to Josh Donaldson, who had 30-plus more than that. 
I mean, that's at least something that stands out. It's not a good criteria, mm-hmm. obviously, but it's at least something that, when you look at it, it makes you, you know, at least, look, like, see that as a piece of information and have to yeah, sort of relate it. And he was... Uh, Oh, never mind. I got that backwards. Uh, Trout was a 20% using their kind of current weighted method, uh, WRC+. Plus, uh, Trout was a 20% better hitter. So you're right that he did have an RBI's equal number of home runs, but I don't know. I just think offensively it's, you can easily prove that Trout was a better hitter, but you know, it's pretty close when it comes to if you're going to look at this. Yeah, and, and, and like I said earlier, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a bad choice between – it's not like – it's not like previous years when Trout lost to Miguel Cabrera two years in a row. Yeah. When he was far and away the more valuable player. This season, it's not uh-huh. that black and white. Oh, great. And uh, Dugan, you're right. He did have... Uh, Donaldson did beat Trout in WPA uh, by 5.7 against 5.3. So, pretty little gap there. Is that good? Are you happy about getting getting that one right, Dugan? I mean, I'm fine with it. Okay, congrats. congrats. Uh, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to like erect a statue in my own. Honor, <laughs> you don't have to but... talk anymore tonight. You got it. You, you, you've done your part. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to rest on my laurels. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so, another kind of interesting thing in the news while we're talking about hot topics, uh, former Royals closer Joaquin Soria has been in the news uh, as a potential piece for. Uh, the Royals seems kind of I don't want to say that people are lying but it's, it seems pretty far-fetched that the Royals are going to be going after and it wasn't even they're in the running I think someone even said that they were like number one on, on the list they were you know not close to making a deal but they were with the bullet the number one team for, for Soria that seems kind of out there though I mean I think it just depends on what kind of money he's actually going to yield on the market you know like and I I kind of don't think he's going to get like a nine million a year contract, but uh, you know maybe I'm way off base. You know if he was getting like a Hochevarian deal, um, it could make sense. But I think I saw he was looking for for somewhere around nine million. Whether or not he gets that, I don't know. Yeah. But I yeah I kind of imagine there's some you know smoke here, and my conspiratorial self says the Royals are driving up the price. For someone else, maybe, mm-hmm. because it doesn't really make sense that with the limited resources, and I, I think they will increase payroll this year, but they have a large hole to fill in left field, a large hole to fill in right field, arguably a hole to fill at second base, and starting rotation, and the bullpen's an area where they, you could argue they have a hole to fill there with, with Greg Holland uh, out and Ryan Matson gone, probably, but it's already a deep you know they already have a lot of depth there, so it seems kind of foolish to spend a lot of resources in that area. You know I do expect them to go after a couple of relievers, but probably the the cheap Ryan Madsen type that Dayton Moore has been pretty good about acquiring. So I kind of think that I kind of think it's just for show. And and you know there there was also a report they were kick, kicking the tires on uh, reliever Darren O'Day, the Submariner from the Orioles, who is expected to be one of the most sought after relievers yeah. this off season. I think he's looking at a four year. $36 million, $40 million deal, which would seem to be way out of the Royals' budget. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it seems kind of crazy, but, you know, there's two relievers they've been they've been linked to, and like you said, that they're reportedly the front runners 
for Soria. So I don't know. It, it it was kind of surprising to me when they brought Hochever back with the kind of depth they had, but but they did it, and they, maybe they see that as a way to to really add you know strength on strength. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and Andrew Miller got like four year forty something million. I mean, he got a huge contract, which you know would be, and he was a he was really dominant. Has Dayton ever paid for relief? We've only really been competitive for the past three years, but. I can't recall him ever splurging on a reliever. Well, I mean, he he's never really splurged in the sense of going out and spending money on a free agent reliever outside of Juan Cruz. Juan Cruz, yeah. I don't know if you consider giving two years and $10 million to Luke Hochaver as splurging. Yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of mid-tier guys like Yazzie um, Buda, David Risky. Right. Uh, Risky business. Ramon yeah, Ramirez. Pretty decent. Cruz was a discount because he had a qualifying offer. Octavio Dotel. Yeah, that was a good Elmer Descends. Like Broxton. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Broxton. Oh, that guy. That was a fun three months that he was here. Um but he ha he does pay for relief pitching in the sense that Greg Holland and Wade Davis have both made they were both what? Wade Davis was six million last year? And Greg Holland, point five, I think. And Greg Holland was like eight ish. Does that sound right? I think it's a little higher, but yeah, something around there. Um, Holland, I think, cracked nine. Yeah, right. So it was. It's. It, I don't think it's. They they haven't had to really go out and spend in free agency for the last three seasons or so because they've had Greg Holland and Kelvin Herrera and Wade Davis now. Um, for the last, you know, two seasons. Um, they paid Joaquin Soria while he was here, at least. Um, so it's, I don't know. I actually am planning on writing an article for tomorrow morning about Joaquin Soria. So wow. I'm, I'm in the bring him back camp if it doesn't cost a lot because I, I do think that the Royals bullpen needs more help than um, we might think at first glance. Not only with Greg Holland being out, not only with Ryan Madsen likely being gone, but um, Chris Young's probably not available. Uh, Franklin Morales, even if he is around, I don't think his performance is particularly repeatable. Um, and so right now the bullpen is, you know, essentially Wade Davis, Kelvin Herrera, Luke Chaver, and four guys, presumably guys like Almonte or Michael Marriott or Lewis Coleman or... I mean, I'd move Duffy there, but that's just me. Right. Or, or you know, you could move Duffy there. So, or Tim Collins, because he should be coming back from Tommy John surgery by May-ish. Um, but that's that's a far cry from, you know, the kind of talent that they've had, you know, for the last two seasons in particular. Um, so I, I, I don't think the bullpen's a bigger problem than, say, left field or maybe even second base, but I think it's something that probably needs to be addressed at least to, is, a, cer- to a certain degree. Is Tim Collins the least exciting Tommy John surgery return that you guys have ever looked forward to? I'm looking forward to it. Are you? I, I, I love Tim Collins. Hmm. Um, I actually... Before he got hurt last year, I was working on a column 
talking about how the Royals were uh, had been modifying his delivery ever since he was called up. Um, and he went from this kind of real winding uh, where he would twist away from the batter and hide the ball behind him before he came to the plate to where it became much more of a direct kind of deliberate delivery, really similar to what Jeremy Offelt uses, actually. Um, and then he had Tommy John surgery, and I was like, oh, well, that's probably the reason why they had been changing his delivery over the last two seasons was to was because he was he was probably pitching with a with at least a partially torn UCL. Yeah. Um at least the season before that. And so and you can really see it kind of in his uh statistics over the two years before he actually um had surgery. So I actually think that he can be a very effective reliever. Um I don't know I don't know how short relief pitchers come back from Tommy John surgery. Um, but I'm at least interested to see uh, his return and his recovery and see how it goes. How tall is Chris Medlin? I think I feel like Medlin's a similar. Well, obviously not. Medlin's what five eleven? I think. Yeah, he's I was going to say Tim, Tim Collins is five six. Okay, yeah, Medlin's five ten according to Baseball Reference. So okay, I, I knew Medlin wasn't tall, but I figured and Collins is really yeah not five six. No, he's not. He's really he's really short. Uh, probably more five 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 four. Yeah, uh, it says B ref says five seven for Collins. I'm just he's, saying. Yeah. He's, he's definitely he's definitely listed two inches taller than he is. <laughs> yeah, he is not five seven. I've I'm five eight, and I've stood next to him. Nice. And he his, the top of his head is is probably right around my mid brow, if if not in my eye line. Like he's easily five five. Is he taller when he's in Jonathan Broxton's pants, or is he just normal <laughs> size? Well, he was wearing lifts then. Yeah, like Everett Tiford. <laughs> That's one of my favorite photos of all time. Uh, so, and and, I, go ahead, Josh. Well, and the only reason I bring up this this bullpen issue and why I think it is something that they should probably address to a certain degree is uh, it comes back to the competition window and the fact that 2016 is your last kind of full season to kind of put it all on the table. And then in 2017, it's kind of a see how it goes. And then by mid-year, you might be looking to trade guys to get value. Or even before, I am actually would propose that they actually trade everybody before 2017 because that's maximizing value while also at least giving us one more year of competitive baseball before they rebuild but like like the winter they accelerate the rebuild too yeah yeah you mean the winter of 2016 yeah okay between 16 and 17 okay so so i i if 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 i were kind of advising dayton Moore, i would tell him that he has essentially one more season to spend money and you know kind of put it all out there and then 2017 is when the rebuild starts. So that the winter before 2017, trade Hosmer, trade Mustakis, maybe try and re-sign one guy, but I don't see what the point would be. Yeah. So Mustakis, Kane, Hosmer, uh, Herrera, even all those guys, just uh, move what do you think them. The fans would say, like, what do you think the 
Do you, do you think the casual fan knows that, that these guys are gone? Or do they still have that kind of glimmer in their eye that, oh, we're going to resign everybody? I don't think they I don't think they do. Um, you don't think that they well, What do you mean? I, I think that the casual fan believes... Well, it probably goes one of two ways. One, they probably say, well, that's fine because we won the World Series and we were competitive. You know, for multiple seasons. Um, or two, they, regardless of what the Royals' payroll may have actually been over the previous three seasons, they probably just view it as David Glass being cheap. That's what I agree on that one. Look uh, at the responses to Matthew Lamar's Alex Gordon article. I think that's kind of in the wheelhouse of what's to come in 2018 when gone. I think a lot of people are going to be like, what happened to this team unity? What happened to the. You know the the chemistry we had. Why are, why is Lorenzo Cain going for top dollar and elsewhere? And, uh, right. Yeah, I think there's going to be some. Why is David Glass being cheap? And why is why is baseball broken and we can't keep all these players? You know, keeping in mind that it would probably you know if we kept all these players, it probably we'd have a payroll in excess of 150 million dollars most likely. But and uh, they'd get bad really fast. Yeah, and they'd, they'd, they'd be on the wrong side of 30, and yeah, we'd have a lot of bad contracts. Probably. Right. I mean, we can keep Osborne and Usakis and Kane. We just literally can't keep anybody else. Like, any pitching, any starting pitching, none of it. Because you're paying those, you'll be paying those three guys in excess of $20 million a year per player. And, and not only that, you just, you can't, like, build a team that way. It just doesn't function that way in reality. And, I mean, or even go back to the way St. Louis reacted to Albert Pujols leaving. Um, and the idea that St. Louis, that it wasn't St. Louis's fault for not paying Albert Pujols. Yeah, it's the player's fault for not was, taking less to it's stay. It's the player's fault for not, taking, for not taking less money to stay around. Um, so, I don't know. I think in Kansas City, we are more likely to put it on ownership because of the way they glance around the team for a decade, but it's... I, if, if the message I would say to the casual fans is just kind of enjoy it while it's here, because every team goes through a cycle of rebuilding, and Kansas City is more than likely 12 months away from it, and if not, then about 19 months away from it. Yeah, and the Braves are doing it kind of – and I thought the Braves were going to be good for several years. I mean, I guess they were – no, they had that – they make the playoffs. I thought the Braves were going to be good for several, several years going forward. They had all these mm-hmm. young guys. They yeah. all yeah. extended. It, it seemed like they were good, and here, here we are, 20, you know, 15. They basically are rebuilding at this point. But so. that's a corporate ownership issue, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, the Braves – I think the Braves had everything in place to be good about two or three years ago, yeah. but then they decided to sell everything off to try and, one, uh, I think there's something in the pricing structure for building the new stadium that they had to pay a portion of it, and then, two, they were trying to get younger and better players so when they moved into the new stadium, they'd right. be good. right. Um, that sounds very Glassian, though. That's you know, I mean, that sounds like something that David Glass would do, in my opinion. Doesn't sound un-David Glass, I think. 
but I don't know. We of Rose obviously don't have a new stadium, but you know that seems like it's a. Do we put Jeffrey Loria? I feel like some plant fans put Jeff Loria and like David Glass on the same pedestal, but they're complete. I mean, we can all agree that David Glass, for all of his warts and all of his good, he's he, he's better than Jeff Loria. Who's not yeah. an owner, but you know, yeah. what I mean? he's not the full owner. But that's what I'm getting at, though. Well, he's also not a totally shady fucker, yeah. like Jeffrey Lurie is. <laughs> and Glass, to his credit, has never just totally raised yeah. the major league roster the way the Marlins have, or the you know the Braves have, or you know the Astros did a couple years ago. And some people have criticized him for that because some people felt like the team needed a complete flush and complete rebuild to properly develop a successful team. Uh, I, you know, obviously they didn't need to do quite that, but um, you know, I don't. At least he 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 spent some money. It just arguably was on terrible free agents that weren't very good. I mean, he never tore a team down, but he also kind of just refused to build one for a while. I mean, I would. I Loria is still worse than David Glass. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but there's been a. I've been running into a lot of conversation lately about um, the team and how long it took Dayton Moore to build a winner and things like that. And I keep coming, and everybody still says that it should have happened faster than it did. That yeah. the fact that it took until 2014, 2015 for the team to be good um, is still a negative against Dayton Moore and David Glass in terms of how they built the team, and they point to contracts like Jose Guillen and Mike Jacobs and things like that. But I don't think it's on glass at all. I think he's been on the up and up, you know, since Moore came in. He's given more, more or less everything he wanted. Right. So I don't think we can really blame Glass. No. But I also don't think we can... I also don't think we can blame David Dane Moore, at least for how long that it has taken, because the Royals were starting essentially from a historically low point. Well, I mean, they had they had Grinky, Gordon, and Butler when he came in. They had an easily tradable piece in the Jesus. It, like, I think it gets overblown. I mean, the farm system was not good, but it had two top 20 prospects. It just didn't have depth. And they weren't as bad as Jeff Lunau when he took over the. I feel like the Astros were in just a shittier spot, just as. Oh yeah, spot. they're like the Phillies right now. Yeah. Right, yeah, but I, I also think the rules help rebuilding more now than they did ten years ago. Hmm. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with Josh Ward in that. I think if you really are going to build a team to the ground up, that and you're building through the draft, it's going to take probably seven to eight years to for that to come to fruition. However. There's no reason why you can't be competitive in some of those years beforehand. And I think Dayton Moore was trying to win in 2009 whenever he got yeah. it was again. It's just that he's, his free agent evaluation is not the best. That's not and his pitcher dev. Yeah, pitcher yeah. and his pitcher development too. is just not, it's not this, and which is odd because that's what I think he would hang his hat on, especially from his Braves days. But that's just not where, he's, where, where he succeeded. And... Uh, you know, it just didn't happen in 2009. You know, all those guys that he signed weren't, you know, weren't going to take the team to the next level. Uh, and and I don't know. He, I think he has evolved a little bit, and maybe gotten a little bit better with those kind of evaluations. But obviously, his his strength is in kind of developing from within. And you know, the starting pitching came eventually. But um, you know, if it wasn't for some of those drafts he had in those early days, we wouldn't have the championship team we have now. 
Yeah. I mean, you're right. Gordon and Butler were on the team, and Zach Ranke was here. And I guess if he was going to do a full rebuild, he probably would have traded all three of those guys then, along with Jesus and Soria at the time. Well, Soria was his rule five draft pick. Right. We could have swapped him after a good year or two and gotten good value if you wanted to. Yeah, it was 07. So, yeah, so when Soria has his, what, first good year in 08 with 42 saves, you trade him then? Well, I mean, he's still making league minimum, so I'd probably wait until he hits ARB. But, yeah, I mean, you pretty much trade him as as, as soon as it makes sense. All right, so at the end of 09, after Zach Greinke, Cy Young? Yeah. Yeah, just trade them both. He was only trade. 25 years old at okay. that time. That would have been a probably a decent return. for. And people, uh, GMs used to pay for closers a lot heavier than they do now. So I, I'm mm-hmm. with you there. I think it would have been great to swap them. Yeah. And I I just point to the fact that the the third prospect on a team is usually not necessarily an Alex Gordon or a Billy Butler. But it's also usually not Chris Lubansky. And you usually don't have guys like Justin Houston or Justin Huber like rounding out your top five. Yeah. I mean well, Huber was a top hundred prospect at one point, wasn't he? Yeah. I Huber? think right when the Royals got him and he kinda of quickly dropped off after that. Uh let me look. I feel like he made BA's top hundred list. We let's see. At the, like in the nineties, but You know what? He was a good call. He was uh in two thousand three. He was the number 66th overall prospect, and then in 06, he was the 84th. So he actually dropped off, and then got back on the list a few years later. So yeah, he, all right, dude. You guys got that one. Dugan, you're, you're killing it tonight, man. <laughs> I I just remember shit. <laughs> so, that, all of that to say that... Um, I, I, I do think that it took probably... A little bit longer than it could have, um, but I don't. I don't necessarily think it's unreasonable to say that it should have taken as long as it did. Like 2010, 2011, even 2012, probably should have been better than they I were. Mean, the pitching development is really still the huge, like, co- like complete failure. Yeah. I mean, it's they've developed Ventura. And Duffy, right. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> like in ten years. That's right. I mean, outside of relief pitchers, yeah. Like in terms of the really valuable guys, the starters, the, the players who can stick there. I mean, yeah. And it's still not. It's still not great. I mean, Ventura's fifth last year was three point nine six. Yeah. Uh, and Duffy was relegated to the bullpen because he... Where he probably belongs. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you traded Manaya, Cody Reed, who, you know, we're probably both going to be... At least, they'll, they'll probably both at least stick as starters. And, I mean, Lamb was a number five and Finnegan was whatever right. he is. Yeah. And then Aaron Brooks is, you know, whatever. So would you guys rather <laughs> trade, pros- you know, pitching prospects, knowing that the Royals have, you know, generally poor development for them to, for major league I, players? 
I do it every year in The Sims. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, I I would rather the organization figure out why they can't develop starting pitching. Why? I would rather figure out why when pitchers move from high A to double A, uh, their stats uh, or ballpark. That's that's part of it, but it can't be the ballpark for everybody. No, you no, know? no. But that's why they look better in the first place than they actually are. The real yes. issue, I think, has always been that they try to square peg or <laughs> four square pegs into round holes with their pitcher development. You know, they right. have them. Yeah. They definitely early on used to force the spike curve on everybody. Uh, they wanted everyone to basically just you know what uh, four seam four seam curveball changeup. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think that's I think that's and you need thing. to be more malleable, like you yeah. need to be more flexible with that. Yeah, I, and I think I mean they have an aversion to the slider. Yes, because it causes unless injury. they're a reliever. Unless they're a reliever, and then they want you throwing basically nothing but sliders and cutters. Yeah, well, not cutters. <laughs> I mean, cutters they they don't want Hochaver to throw it until he's already had Tommy John surgery, or unless he's, at least until he's in the bullpen. Because when he was a starter, they didn't want him throwing it. Right, but he throws it now. Yeah, he throws it now. So and I don't, I don't I know where the change came from. Bit. It was probably Shields, but and Wade Davis didn't throw a cutter as a starter, but he does in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah, I think they've loosened up a lot on that because Island used to be very much anti-cutter, and they, I think they loosened up on that. I, I thought I had heard they loosened up a little bit on the minor league repertoire as well, letting guys throw a little bit more what they're comfortable throwing, and I think they asked guys to emphasize things, but I don't think there's wasn't there also error. Sorry. I don't think yeah, I don't think there's dogmatics they used to be. I mean, of course, then they used to be really anti long toss, and now they, yes. they have a couple guys doing long toss. Now. That's what the big t- uh, kerfuffle about uh, Mike Montgomery was all about was right. long toss. Yeah, that's also why. I mean, that's why Trevor Bauer went on record saying he didn't want the Royals to draft him. Yeah, so that's kind of where that whole thing started. And I mean, wasn't there also something just from this last season that they didn't want Ventura throwing a cutter anymore? Like I, I'm pretty sure there was. No, I, I mean he started. He increased his cutter usage, didn't he? As the season went on, I mean, I remember when he, I was at that Houston yeah. game when he actually introduced it for the first time. Right, and uh, that's 2014. What, that's, that's what I mean. I think to start this year, they wanted him to throw less cutters, and then they realized that he couldn't not throw a cutter and be effective. Yeah, because he needed a different look with his fastball. Yeah, and then they started reintroducing it back into his repertoire. So they're still kind of, I don't know. I, I, but to get back more to the kind of the the prospect angle of it, I would rather them figure out their development system than feel like, well, we can't develop them, so we might as well just trade them. Because that's not well, a long. Yeah, it's not I a long. Mean, I just trade them because I know it's the Royals developing these guys, and I'm not really worried about what's going to happen in the sim. So, yeah. And so, I mean, a guy like Kyle Zimmer is. I mean, he's ready, right? Like, if he's healthy. Yeah. Does anybody think that he needs? No. If, if he can, if he can throw five innings, I think he should be in the majors, but. He hasn't yeah. shown that he can do that, right? And and they were talking about they're at least going to give him a look in spring training. Was, 
pretty sure there was a, a McCullough or a Flanagan article about that recently. So, there's that, at least. Uh, I don't know. It's it's also just the fact that, I mean, pitching prospects more so than hitters are just volatile. Yeah. Just the bottom. They shouldn't, that- but they shouldn't be this volatile. Like, you shouldn't have, you know, Dwyer, Montgomery, and Lamb disappearing for years and then have Duffy flame out and then Ventura's kind of middling right now. For his repertoire, especially. Right, considering his, you know, talent. Um, and then the fact that you just, you don't have, you don't have a single guy who has come up from the minor leagues and has been a back-of-the-rotation guy to just throw 200 innings with a 4.4 ERA. Like, they haven't even developed that guy. They don't have any of the... Well, I guess technically Ventura is that guy. But they don't have any of those... I mean, John Lamb, I guess, was kind of looking to be that guy. But they don't they don't have anybody in their system that's just kind of like a... I don't know, like a Mike Pelfrey kind of guy who's just like... He's probably going to knock around to six or seven teams by the time his career is over, but he's going to throw, you know, a bunch of innings and be somewhere between average and not horrible. Well, that's because Dayton Moore gives those kind of pitchers four-year deals at $10 million per year. Right, but I, I think he does that because they... No, I know. I get, I'm making a, 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 a chide at Dayton Moore. Right. He'd, rather than pay that kind of guy, which should be readily, you know, abundant, uh, the minimum, you know, salary, he mm-hmm. goes out and overspends on that. So that's that's the deficiency. That's what he's got to make up for, essentially. You know, because right. he can't develop that. He's got to go do that. And there is there is something to the fact that when Dayton Moore came along, 06, 07, 08 was, I mean, he took Hochaver in 06, but then he took Mustakis and Hosmer. Um, and I forget who who was the first round in '09. Was it Cologne? Yeah, I think it was Cologne. Was he that early? I thought he was like 2011. Well, or, oh no, was that the Montgomery year? No, Montgomery it supplemental. It would have been the first round pick. Didn't it go Mustakis uh, or Mustakis, Hosmer, Cologne, but or Starling? Am I missing? Um, I don't know. I think it's that that year didn't they sacrifice their first round pick? No, they've always had a first round. I think they lost it. But they had the supplemental with Montgomery. Yeah, you got it, Josh. Oh, yeah, Aaron Crow. It was Aaron Crow, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Will Myers was in the third that year. Yeah. So, um, so uh, in 2000... Oh, that year they punted their second round pick for uh, Juan Cruz, didn't they? Yeah. 2010 was Christian Cologne. 2011 was Bubba Starling. Mm-hmm. And then 2012 was uh, Kyle Zimmer, and then you get Hunter Dozier and Sean Manaya. And... So I, the reason I bring it up is because first-round picks are the most likely to make the major league team at some point, and from 07 until what would have been 2012, they only spent one draft one draft pick on a starting pitcher. Uh, 
Well, so and they the, were spending in Latin America the whole time, you know, right. especially when there weren't the limits. They started spending so big in Latin America and didn't produce any pictures out of that either. Yeah, I mean, you've got Herrera and Ventura, and I guess Almonte, but Almonte didn't he? Did he sign before they put the limits in? Yes, he was several years. They just had the limits only for the past. Yeah, he was pre-limits. Yeah. Definitely. Ventura and Almonte, I believe, were both signed in 2009. Yeah, definitely pre-limit. The first limit was like Elier Hernandez, I think, was the first year they had a limit on that. Yeah, but no, no, Elier Hernandez was after, was before the limits because so he the, signed for 1.5 or something. Yeah. Or 3.1. He signed as a 16-year-old. Ah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So maybe it was Mon- – well, Montessi was like 09 too, I think. Huh. Montessi and Elier Hernandez were the same year. Yeah. So who could that have been? I don't know. Anyways. They've been either 08 or 2010. But, yeah, I mean, Yambadi, Sugar Ray Maramon, mm. Noel Arguelles, for God's sake. like A lot of money in him. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a long multi-year history of the Royals trying to acquire pitching and not really being able and to get it. Yeah. How much did a, did Noel there get? Did he get 6.8 mil? He got yeah, 7. He got, he got almost 7. It was okay. 6.5 or 6.8. I, th- I was thinking he got, uh, yeah, 6.9 in 2010. Okay. I was thinking because it's kind of funny that the two and his, the his two velocity went down by like two miles an hour. But he signed as a 21 year old, didn't he? Uh, 19. Okay. Yeah. So the two highest bonuses in Royals history are Doyle Gilas and Bubba Starling. That's not the most efficient way to spend money. No. Um, and as we move on here, uh, I, I wanted to pour one out for all of our – we're talking about pitching prospect bust. I really wanted to pour one out for all of our kind of fallen homies here. Um, I'm going to give you some guys' names. Daniel Cortez, do we remember him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was traded for Unieski Betancourt. Yep. Well, and he was, wasn't he a character, character issue guy? Yeah, there was a picture wasn't of him Wasn't he suspended on the, uh, from the whatever. team? I don't know. I, he's actually uh, he's like a, an industrial engineer now. <laughs> well, and he he threw Dayton Moore under the bus and said he was so glad to get out of town. Ah, yeah. these guys are all formerly like top five Royals prospects. Uh, Daniel yep. Cortez, Carlos Rosa, uh, uh, yeah. Tim Melville, yeah, Andy oh yeah. Gutierrez. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, just going back through history. Oh, Billy Buckner. Can't forget about Buckner. Right, or uh, Julio Pimentel? Was Buckner the first Roy, first date more draftee to make a major league start? Uh, oh, that sounds about right. That could be a stat, I feel like. Was Ryan Buckvich, was was that pre-Dayton? Uh, I don't know. Was Blake yeah, Wood? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Baird. Okay, what about yeah. Blake? I think Blake Wood was pre-him as well. Well, Blake Wood never made a start, though. Right. Did he? Well, I was just thinking of prospects yeah. that kind of... Pitchy prospects had fell apart. Blake Wood was a fun guy. Sinker ball last pitcher. week. He signed yeah. some, uh, for a minor league deal. Yeah. He had Tommy John surgery. After the Royals cut him, he went to Cleveland. Ooh, Tyler Sample? I remember him. He was cool. Yep. Uh, there we go. So, anyways, let's stop bumming the listeners out and talking yeah. about but I, I think they, they, spent, they spent a lot of money in Latin America to try and bring in pitching because they weren't emphasizing it so much in the first round of the amateur draft. Yeah. And I think historically Latin America is more volatile than Oh, certainly. than the amateur draft can be, but either e- e- even parsing it that way, 
they still haven't developed a lot of starting pitching. So there's something organizationally that I think is hindering development wherever it may be. Yeah, and kind of speaking of prospects continuing here, um, John Sickles, uh, our kind of sister site with uh, minorleagueball.com, covering, excuse me, prospects across the whole prospect atmosphere rather than just obviously Royal-centric ones. Um, Mm -hmm. He released his top 20, what would have been just on the 19th of this month, so a few days back there. Uh, His list, and I'll let you guys make your comments about it, um, one through five is Mondesi, Zimmer, Almonte, Starling, Russell. Um, I think that's pretty consistent. I, I don't think that Mondesi. I think everywhere across the board, Mondesi is going to be number one. And I because feel like of health. Zimmer will be number two. Yeah. Um, but I'm low on Almonte. But you know, you guys think Starling is now number four? That seems kind of rich, in my opinion. I well, there. Starling's number four because they sold off five guys from the top ten. But you wouldn't yeah, take. I mean, but, but... I mean, Starling's great as a B minus, which tells you the kind of the state of the Royals system right now. But actually, Almonte's great as a B minus as well. I mean, your third best prospect is a B minus. But I mean, and I don't regret doing those trades at midseason. But yeah, the Royals sold off a lot of their top prospects to get Zobrist and Cueto. Yeah, but Starling was like back of the top ten. You know, I mean, he was way outside the top ten. And would you take Starling at least because in front of him is Ash Russell, former first round pick. Uh, Foster Griffin, former first-round pick. Nolan Watson, supplemental first-round pick. Uh, I mean, you've got guys. Bonifacio is seventh. He was in AAA. Uh, or no, he's hit, I'm sorry. He's in the same league. Uh, younger than Starling. Has hit better than Starling previously. I don't know. I just feel like he shouldn't be number four. But that's just my opinion. Well, I, I think, think those guys are just so loud. You can't really <laughs> ignore them. Yeah. And those guys are like a million years away from the major leagues where I think Starling has a pretty high floor at this point. Like, he could probably play defensively at the major league level, and I don't know how much he'd hit, but he looks like he could at least be a fourth outfielder at this point, whereas those guys may never make even triple-A at this point. We don't know. Um, I think a, a guy that I would probably debate putting ahead of Starling, though, is Josh Stalmont. Yeah. I think if I'm yeah. saying that right. Because um, he had a pretty impressive season, I thought, this year. Mm-hmm. Um and he's got tremendous velocity. He's a college guy that seems like he could be a pretty fast riser. I don't know. Yeah, you probably have followed him more than I have, Sean. So I don't know if you have a. I love him. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, uh, Josh. Speak, uh, speak your truth. Um, I would put Starling seventh right now. I think behind behind Russell and Stalbander. Move move both those guys up, and then I would also. Probably have somebody like hmm, maybe Watson, kind of on an even keel. But proximity to the major leagues is also kind of a big selling point for me. Like I, I, regardless of his injury, I would rate Zimmer higher than Mondesi because I'm not sure that Mondesi will ever hit well enough to be a regular. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I, the same. I think Zimmer can at least be healthy enough to contribute even if it's in as a, the back end of a bullpen right. kind of guy so I mean my my top 10 eh, the back end of the top 10 looks pretty similar but I mean I'd probably have Zimmer, Mondesi Russell Stalmont 
Amante, and then Starling, Watson, Cuthbert, kind of in that general back end of the top ten range. But, I mean, it's so fluid is the other thing. I mean, he, I think Pickles even commented in his article that um, something like picks, like his slotting for like 11 through 20 or 13 through 20 could basically be interchangeable. Right. Um, because it's all, it's all a bunch of recently signed guys who were in low A or high A who performed well. Um, but the system itself is just so kind of gutted right now because of all the draft picks that got traded away. So. You know what I thought was interesting though is that completely off the list was Chase Vallow. Um, and I'm a I'm a pretty yeah. big fan of Chase yeah. Vallow myself, but yeah, and and Ryan O'Hearn yeah. kind of being off the list. But um, didn't he did he admit that that was an omission or or don't? Yeah, he said that was an omission in the in the comments, I believe. Did he? Because he's got other grades C plus. Which would fall outside of the top twenty? He's got Valo right on there. Well, I, I mean, the rest, not, not the, Chase, rest, uh, the last nine guys on the list are all C pluses. So, hmm. all right. I mean, that's. I, but I, even then, no, I agree. He should have been probably should have been in the top twenty. I think. Yeah, I think he's a top ten for me. But uh, how about Hunter Dozier? Not even making the top twenty at this point. Yeah, that's pretty rough, huh? Yeah, I don't. Is there? I mean, how old is he now? You know what? He's twenty three. I think. I, I wouldn't take him. I would take Hunter Dozier over basically any low Latin American guy like Alfredo uh, Malvadado. Uh, I, I'm not even trying. Amelani Fuca Fuca Amelani Fuca. Fuca. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like him. Anderson Miller was just drafted. I think John has him as 15th. I would take Dozier over a guy who you know was like a what is he a third or fourth rounder? Third rounder that's in rookie ball. Uh, I would take Dozier. Just at least, just defensively, Dozier's good enough that you could probably put him at third. Well, and but another swing totally fell apart, right? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. He's going to repeat, I guess, double A next year. Is that? Yeah, he'll probably. Expect? I'd imagine he'll he'll hit double A again. The one, the one that actually surprised me the most was probably Brett Eibner being yeah. out of the top twenty. Well, he'll, he'll well, he's not prospect in a now, isn't he? Isn't he too he, old? No, I don't know if John. No, because I think John was going to put. Um, Jose Martinez on the list, and Jose Martinez is just as old as Eibner. Yeah, he's got Eibner he as others, others of note. So Eibner's kind of in consideration. He didn't have yes. Balbino Fuenmoyar on there either, so... <laughs> yeah. hmm. All right. Maybe he does. Maybe he thought he was too old, but... I don't know, maybe he doesn't have minor league free agents on it, because those, both of those guys were signed as minor league free yeah. agents. So. Eibner's yeah. been in the system for a while. I wouldn't put... But, Eibner wouldn't be in my top 20 if you know when I do it here anyway, so that's just my opinion. It sounds like somebody disagrees. I mean, I, I, I disagree, but I just... That's because I, I give weight to proximity. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for the guys that do well in AAA that aren't like 35 years old. I mean, he's... Eibner's old, but he's not super old like, yeah. you know... Uh, some of the other guys have been just hanging out at the Pacific League for. And he's a non traditional outfielder. You know? Yeah, and he said it's some not like he problems. committed to it early. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I'm a little higher in Abner than, than saying that he's like a non prospect. Yeah, but what good is being in AAA if, if you're not going to. I don't think he's going to contribute anything at the major league level. So he could be. 
Well, you can say that for a lot of guys on the, on the list. No, sure. Yeah. But, but I mean, I think everybody that I would put on my top 20 at least has a chance of contributing. It, more so than Brett Eibner, in my opinion. But I'm just low on Eibner. I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, I think Eibner could contribute on another team. Yeah, I just don't think he has a spot. Not on a contender. No, I mean, I, yeah. and I mean on a in a vacuum on any team. If he was given 600 plate appearances as a, a right fielder, I think he's going to put up a replacement level season. That's my opinion. Yeah, I can see that, but I think that's like, that's probably true of a lot of guys. On, I mean, that's probably better than a lot of guys on this list, though. I think if you're if you're a Triple A guy that can be a replacement level, that's I mean, well, but I think I, I think that's value. I think. I think what Sean is saying is that Brett Eibner at max yes. le- talent uh, level right. is replacement level, whereas other guys on the list like, I don't know, like Alec Mills or Martin Gasparini have actually have potential to be sure positive but, value. Yeah, yeah, that's, but that's kind of the, I mean, a lot of these guys, there's, there's kind of the upside versus the, the high, the floor, whereas, you know, Eibner's floor I think is much, way higher than a lot of these guys, but... You know, obviously, his ceiling is, is much lower. So it's, I yeah. think I think John has to deal with that. Yeah, with with his right. list, yeah, sure. well, and obviously he sides with you, Sean. I don't think he thinks that highly of Eibner. So well, and I I think that Eibner over six hundred PAs is a more valuable player than Paulo Orlando. Ah, all right, I can see that. I mean, I'm not gonna won't argue with that. I think they're I both the same player. I don't think Paulo Orlando over six hundred plate appearances. No. With, be able to make contact efficiently. But I mean, Orlando's defense would be better than Eibner's, wouldn't it? I think Eibner's would be pretty good defense. Yeah, he's gotten pretty good marks for pretty good scouting reports on his defense. He's got a better so. arm, but I would not, say, than Orlando. Maybe not as speedy. I feel like or, I feel like Orlando's a little speedier than yeah. Eibner. But Orlando has the ability to play center field. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I don't yeah. think Eibner does at the major league level. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but. Uh, but I, I I don't know. I I think Eibner's hitting would probably at least balance out, if not overtake Orlando's defensive upgrade. Because I also think Orlando's power spike from last season is a mirage. So, well, I, mean, I don't know. I think he has enough power to hit. The, I mean, it's not like he's got crazy power, but I think he's you know forty grade at the major league level. Yeah, but I I mean I'd probably put Eibner at. Like a forty-five or a fifty. At a pow- I would probably put him above average. I think I yeah. he's got a, he's got a and, lot of power. And then I mean, Orlando's contact is what like a thirty. And I'd probably. But, I mean, Eibner's contact like at the major league level. I don't know how well Eibner's going to do no, either. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. So Eibner also has at least he can also draw walks. So. No, I think I don't know. I think Orlando had an eighty-nine WRC plus. Yeah, I, I think which one of these rotten apples is more rotten than the right, other one? Exactly. Right. So, so I, there are there are some people that are kind of. I mean, the Royals have an opening in right field next year, and there are some that have advocated using Eibner or some combination of Eibner and Dyson or Orlando. There's no chance the Royals do this, right? No, I, you don't do that in a competitive season. I wouldn't object to. I would actually be totally okay with Dyson and Orlando. I would be okay with Dyson at one corner if they if they sign Zobrist or <laughs> sign Zobrist or or Gordon's a pipe dream, but right. If if yeah, if Zobrist or Gordon are on the team, I'm totally okay with Dyson platooning with 
a right-handed batter that's better than Paulo Orlando. Which so is, they're not Brett Eibner. Yeah, which is a lot of batters that are better. Than, better I than don't. I don't think you can reliably count on Eibner to be good enough. If that makes sense. Right, and he would even be he would be the short side of the platoon as well. And even then, I wouldn't wouldn't want to take the chance on he or Orlando. I'm or Orlando. I'd rather bring somebody in. Yeah, know. I'd rather spend the three four million bucks and bring someone in than right. Rely. You should on be that. able to do that. You think? Yeah. Okay, so if it's just a Johnny Gomes type who. Yeah. You know. Um. Kind of final prospect note. Uh, the Rule Five uh, draft is next month. I think it's a little less than a month away. Um, and the Royals had to make some decisions. They think they had, I want to say they had four slots, five slots open. Um, I think they might be full up at this point, but they they had a few spots. They made their decisions. Um, they ultimately protected Starling, Bubba Starling, Kyle Zimmer. Um, was it Alec Mills or Matt Stram? Who, I forget who. Both, both of them. Was it both? Yes. Yep. both of them. All right. And then Ray Fuentes, right? No, yeah. He's already on. Eibner. Eibner's the other guy. Yeah, okay. So they had six uh, spots. Oh, no. Torres. Oh, Ramon Torres, yep. Yeah. yeah. Starting Torres, Eibner, Zimmer. Stram. And, okay. and they designated Marriott. Cool. So that's all makes sense. I would have liked to seen um, Brooks Pounders maybe taken over. Um, probably Stram. I don't know. I kind of like Stram, but I don't know. I kind of like Brooks Pounders because he's got a little more heat. Uh, but either way, it doesn't sound like we're going to be missing anybody who was unprotected. Right? Nobody's going to take Few and Mayor. No one's probably going to be taking uh, Binford or Sam Selman or even Elio Hernandez. Uh, it sounds like. Does so anybody want Brooks Pounders? I think somebody would. I like. I, he might go, but I don't, I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to be missed. Yeah. 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 What, what are his, he's recovering from a lat injury. Yeah. Yes. I, but he is a Tommy John survivor at one point. Yeah, a few years back, yeah. he had TJ, and then he had his light injury. But he was really good in the AFL. He pitched for Team USA um, this past two weeks or a week or so alongside Eibner. Uh, so I think teams – I think someone might take a flyer on him. He's not super old. He's only 24. He's got kind of mid-90s fastball. I, I don't know. Jonathan not, uh, Mayo had Sam Selman as a top 10 yeah. uh, potential draft pick. I mean, what – Right. I will say, like a lot of these pre, you know, top ten right. draft picks are usually just throwing darts at the wall. Yeah, but uh, Wayne Mayor is not uh, Rule Five eligible, is he? I don't think so. Yeah, he was because wasn't he a minor league free agent from Independent Ball? I think he was still he was still Rule Five. And I eligible. think he's actually signed this year to another minor league free agent deal. I, I think as long as you uh, uh, four years out of uh, being drafted. Yeah. Uh, yeah no. Yeah. He. Uh, he signed in 07 with the Blue Jays, so he has too many years. Yeah. So he's Rule 5 eligible. Jeffrey Flanagan seemed to indicate he was eligible. So. Yeah, and I yeah. think it comes down to because he wasn't a free agent. He wasn't a, he wasn't a minor league free agent. He was just cut by his team. So, like, you know, if they. Well, if, minor league free agents are eligible. You can be signed as a minor league free agent and be eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, oh, it's. Okay. It's. It's. Um, it's like six years from when you sign your yeah. first deal or five years from when you're drafted. Right, but if you're a minor league free agent... At, Based after, on age? Yeah, but like after six years, though. I mean, if you're a 30-year-old minor league free agent, are you still eligible for Rule 5 if you're not on the 40-man? Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. Been, Mike Mordecai was drafted as a like, 38-year-old <laughs> really? veteran infielder once. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's yeah. been some old guys taken before. I was thinking it was like arbitration where, you know, you can't go through arbitration until after you're, you know, you've had three years and then you're a free agent. You can never go through it again. But, okay. Huh. But back to the point. Nobody's going to take Fruin Meyer. We're pretty positive. This. Nobody will take a guy who's injured, won't be back until, I don't know, June. Yeah. And he's, he's good to be protected, which is kind of nice. Kind of worked out because the Royals didn't have to add him. He kind of saved us from adding him, essentially, by getting injured. Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think anyone that's worried about us losing any of these players have to realize that if another team wants them, they have to carry them yeah. on the roster all year, which no yeah. team wants to do if a guy's not really ready for the big leagues. I mean, we've done this a couple times when we were bad. You know, we take carry a, you know, ooh, Walkham Sorio is kind of the exception of the rule, but usually it's a pretty crummy player like uh, Adcock. Nate, Nate Adcock, yeah, he comes yeah. to mind. You know, it's a guy mm-hmm. that's not, not very good that you, only, you can only put out there when you're getting blown out. And you, most teams can't afford to carry a guy like that these, these days. Yeah, no one's going to take Selman. Or if they are going to take Selman, we'll be okay. Selman, uh, at this point, if, if he was even a middle reliever, it would be great. Um, yeah. But can't, find the, can't find the strike zone, can he? No. No. Uh, not with a map. Not with a Garmin GPS. Uh, okay. <laughs> so back, uh, Edgar Ozuna was a Royals pick. I believe. I don't, I don't even remember that. him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jose Lugo. But he was traded yeah, to Seattle. Yeah, I think Seattle. we traded him immediately. Yeah, to Seattle. Uh, and then there's a couple of guys in the triple A fate. Successful after Joaquin Soria. Cesar Cabral. Who was traded to the Yankees immediately? But hmm. uh, and uh, what was I going to say? I just lost my train of thought. Uh, so yeah, so I think we're pretty much good on that. I, I don't. I can't imagine that the Royals they they're protecting who they need to protect. But mm-hmm. um, I, I really think that Zimmer needs to get a shot at some point this year um, in some capacity. You know, I know some of you guys. I think are. Fans, I feel like Josh Dugan, you are a fan of this, of kind of the bullets in the arm, you know, kind of like. Oh hey. yeah, yeah, I'm very pro Zimmer. I think he just needs to, like, whatever. Just <laughs> if he's healthy, he should start the year in the majors. Right, right. I mean, we need, obviously the Royals don't need to be concerned with Zimmer and uh, and hitting arbitration too early. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think his arm's going to hold out that much anyway. So you Six may as well get the value out of it you can. Right. And, you know, Glass, if someone did take one of these Rule 5 guys, you know, they're just making David Glass richer because they have to pay him 50000 You know, it's just uh, the rich get richer, right? Cheap David Glass, just selling guys off to make money. Yep, we know him. Um, okay, so before we get into the final topic, Max, I'm guessing you saw this. What's up with – what the hell is Eric Hosmer on this uh, cryogenically frozen thing? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I think he's taking his uh, social media page to kind of uh, hawk products now uh, he has he was selling some t-shirt the other day uh which you know how awful they probably contacted us about that so <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. yeah. yeah. Should, far be it for me to criticize him for hawking t-shirts but uh yeah i guess he has some cryogenic <laughs> company that uh he's and i someone someone mentioned in the comments that uh, that uh, some other athletes have done this too but, well ted like some, yeah <laughs> it's, it's basically some chamber it looks like he's in the matrix or something but yeah. some chamber where you Immerse your body in, I guess, cold air, night, uh, liquid yeah. nitrogen. I don't know what it. I don't know exactly what it does. But. There's a huge nitrogen tank just right. Yeah, next to it. <laughs> that's a, it I really don't know if he's dangerous. frozen or or what. But huh. all right. 
I bet. I, did, I don't know what that oh, is. Oh, is this the uh, the flash freezing therapy thing? Yeah, it's you like cri- cryptotherapy or cryotherapy. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I think it's cryo. I don't think I don't think crypto's in this. Crypto's dead. I think so. Yeah. I don't think it's that. Yeah. Um, basically, you stand in a chamber and then they, for like yeah, a millisecond, blast you with like liquid nitrogen. I think it's, it's longer the, than that. And it's supposed to like rejuvenate. Huh? Is it is it as effective as the fighting necklaces they were? No, no, not at all. Can't be. <laughs> Nothing can be as effective as this as, as the uh, George Brett patented yeah. magnet necklaces. You're right. The Brett brothers will sell you all of that. Do everything except keep you out of slumps. Apparently, so, are we sure this isn't all just a like just a ruse to get all these athletes uh, sperm <laughs> to breed super athletes? Right. I won't put it past. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't comment on that's that. something David Glass would do. I think that's a Glass yeah. move. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I, I would definitely. Uh, Write up a spec script on that and chop it around, dude, and see what you can get. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm working on it right now. Cool. It's the fourth Avenger. <laughs> if you hear the typing. Yeah. <laughs> on the next episode of Blacklist. That's more of a fringe. I think that's more on fringe than Blacklist. Fringe, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so every year, uh, moving on from uh, crypto cryotherapy, uh, every year, well, how many years have we done the off-season simulation, Max? I think this is the fourth. I want to say fourth, yeah. So... Every year for the past four years, uh, give or take, um, we've done an off-season simulation, or I should say Royals Review has head, uh, spearheaded by Max, um, where essentially 30 – I think usually it ends up always being someone from the SB Nation series of blogs. Um, but basically we're asked to take over the shoes, uh, fill in the shoes of the GM for all 30 clubs. Um, our own Josh Dugan usually does the Royals. Um, every time. Every time. Uh, results have been uh, – Outstanding every time with him too. Um, well, 2016, the jury's still out on 2016. I have to yeah. actually well, compare those rosters, or 2015. Yeah, uh, I have to compare those rosters. I'm sure I didn't do. I'm sure Shadow Royals did not win the World Series. Yeah, and I think you traded away Jordano Ventura one year for uh, somebody. Um, I did that. Yeah, but yeah, it's okay. way back. We won't. Yeah, and so this is essentially what we do. Is yeah, we basically 30 people. They all make moves, make signings, trades. Um, non-tenders, everything you could want out of a GM, and basically tries to see who could put together uh, the main team. Uh, Max, uh, he is usually the basically the agent, the commissioner. He's everything other than the GM. Um, Max, tell us a little bit, kind of what's your favorite thing about it, maybe the big stresses of it, kind of, or even some little anecdotes you might have had uh, going on this year. Yeah, it's something I kind of look forward to every year, and it's, it's just a cool exercise. I, I think it started four years ago because um, – Dave Cameron, the, the talented writer at Fangraphs, every year he'd write his offseason, here's what the Mariners should do. He's a big Mariners fan. And every year it'd be like, you know, he's a really smart guy, but it'd be these ridiculous fanboy trades of, hey, let's acquire Joey Votto for like four Mariner scrubs. And I was like, well, everyone, you know, when they're thinking about what their team should do, overvalues their own players and undervalues, you know, other teams' players. So I was like, well, what would be some like realistic trades that people could work out? Uh, so I thought, hey, maybe I'll get, you know, we'll see if I can get 30 guys together and see if they can work out some trades. And then I was like, well, we should also do free agents, so maybe I'll I'll be the agent and they can all work out free agent deals with me. And uh, so it kind of it started four years ago, and yeah, we had Dugan, and I don't remember if you were involved in the first one. I think maybe you were, you got involved in the second one. 
but uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's it's uh, it takes up a you know a fair amount of time, but as long as you're organized, uh, it, it goes pretty smoothly. And uh, I, you know, I'm always kind of impressed with the deals that get done, and and kind of uh, it's really it's really interesting to me to see each direction each team takes. Like this year, we had a couple teams that just you know we have a budget recommendation, which is a kind of a soft cap, not really much of a cap at all, but it's just like, hey, here's here's $150 million, try not to go over that. Um, and if we if you do, we'll shame you. And a couple teams just kind of zoom past their budget recommendation. And then there's teams that um, really went way under because they wanted to rebuild. And then, Sean, I thought you took a really interesting tack. You took the Marlins this year because we didn't have a, a Marlins fan uh, ready to take the team. And, and you decided to do a, a complete complete re- rebuild of that organization, which I thought was really interesting. I, did you want to talk about maybe your little yeah, your philosophy sure. behind doing that, uh, uh, what it, that was like? Yeah, and we'll get to every – because for those who are listening and didn't participate in December, really follow it. Um, I had the Marlins. Uh, Josh Dugan had the Shadow Royals, and then uh, Josh Ward had the Nationals. Um, my thought was, man, this Marlins team sucks. Uh, they were 20 games under five hundred this year. They're only going to get more expensive as, you know – Fernandez goes to arbitration as Stanton's ridiculous contract starts going up um, as, you know, A.J. Ramos, all, all their players really start moving to arbitration. Knowing kind of how Jeffrey Loria likes to stay cheap, I figured, you know what, let's see if we could sell off these players. Um, so, I mean, anything that wasn't nailed down or, you know, wasn't a guy that, you know, I could have for the next five, six years pretty much was, was gone. Um, so I was really super aggressive took on money basically but i only wanted to take on kind of short-term debt um so and the biggest trade maybe the most controversial trade of the whole thing i think it got voted the best trade but that usually means that maybe everybody agreed on one side and didn't really agree much on the other side receiving it yeah um, i'd say that's probably how it went was with josh wart who uh like i said was on the nationals uh took over he he got rid of a lot of dead money which mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not fully dead but a lot of a lot of money that the Nationals could have spent elsewhere, essentially. He had to give up two pretty good guys in Giolito and Turner. Um, but, I mean, Josh, that ended up being like, like $60, 70000000 million in future obligations. Yeah, yeah. It um, With the contracts that I got back in return, plus the, uh, I want to say, 17 years of control for the guys that you returned to me in the deal, Um the actual value of it ended up being something like $85 million of money that kind of changed hands. But yeah, as, as, as far as straight cash went, yeah, it was about $60 million right. in contracts. And the Nats fan base, because I, I didn't push mine on Fish Stripes. I, sorry, Fish Stripes, but I, I just they don't have a lot of action over there, so I just said, you know what, I'll link to it. Um, but you posted yours on Federal Baseball, uh, mm-hmm. the Nationals SB Nation. Didn't go over so well with them, right? No, they um, they were not uh, particularly fans because I uh, I traded Giolito and Turner, but I also traded Steven Strasburg, and they were not necessarily fans of the players that I got back in return for it. What was, what was Str- that deal? What was the Strasburg deal? Yeah, uh, Strasburg was to San Diego for Craig Kimbrell, mm. um, and I also got uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Craig Kimbrell and Colin Ray and Jacob Nix yeah. for Strasburg and Austin Voth. Okay. I did the Nationals a few years back. So There's another player that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. 
Uh, oh, Eric Fetty. Oh, okay. Well. So, basically, it was Eric Fetty and Austin Voth for Craig Kimbrell and Steven Strasburg. And then I ended up with, ironically, I ended up with Eric Fetty. Uh, yes. Not through our trade between us, but through the Padres right. trade. Yeah, through a subsequent trade from. So, Max, who made, I think maybe my team had the biggest maybe overall, but outside of mine, because mine's a completely outrageous scenario as far as where this team was and everything, who maybe, who made the biggest overall? I feel like Boston really changed their, their team a pretty good chunk. But In the Red Sox, uh, they're run by Brian Grosnick, who runs, uh, or he writes at Beyond the Box Score. Uh, he yeah he made quite a few transactions. He was able to move Pablo Sandoval, uh, acquired Carlos Carrasco from the Indians. Uh, oh, uh, got Chris yeah got Chris Davis as a free agent. I think one of the more reasonable yeah. uh, free agent deals, like five years, one hundred ten million dollars. Uh, he yeah, he made quite a few transactions and overhauled that roster quite a bit. I know the Pirates, uh, and you know the Pirates guy is a guy who I befriended over at Baseball Think Factor. He's, so he's not actually. He's actually a Royals fan, not a Pirates fan. Ah. Uh, but he made, I think, the most transactions. Um, and he he got some criticism there. And they were friendly about it because they, they know him there. Uh, just that, you know, he overhauled a team that was coming off you know, coming off a couple of postseason appearances. And he kind of got rid of Neil Walker and a couple other uh, veteran players and, and, and Mark Melanson. And kind and of tried, was, tried very, very hard to trade Andrew McCutcheon. Really? That, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of went, just decided to go for all new guys. So uh, he got some flack for that. And I, I would actually say that um, getting criticism as a GM is not uncommon. Like everyone always says, oh, why did you make these trades? But of course, when you're in those shoes and, and doing the trades <laughs> yourself, yeah. it's not it's not that easy. That's why, you know, everyone thinks that, and that's kind of the reason I wanted to do this is because. Mm-hmm. People always think, well, why don't you just trade Omar Infante for, you know, Clayton Kershaw? And, of course, yeah. that's not the way this works. you got to give up something to get something. And, I know, tried. I, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was impressed that you were able to move Infante at all. You moved. Him, you did move him to the Pirates, ironically. That was through no doing it on my own. The, uh, <laughs> the guy from the Cubs, uh, Rob, wanted um, was poking around about Bryce Harper and basically started by offering Michael Geddes and Scrap. I think you've got at least a couple of other guys that I would rather have and some of them are on the major league team right now so I don't think I'm going to do that I dealt with Rob a lot and I, th- I don't know I thought Rob was Rob Huff is who was ran the Cubs um, are you sure it was my it was, you sure it was Geddes because Geddes is a Padre guy you but I don't know. Yeah, no, he had been acquired. Okay. Because Drennan oh, yeah, that's right. traded a lot of guys to try and rebuild. Yeah, I couldn't tell Max. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, what was he doing? <laughs> uh, I think Drennan was having fun yeah. is really what I got down to. Um, the team might not have been any worse or better. It might have just been the same team. In the he, did, he did manage. I mean, I think it probably ended up being a little bit better overall. But I think he cut too much in certain areas to make those improvements. He had uh, he had money to burn at the end too because he got outbid for Justin Upton and uh, I think Jason Hayward. And there was only a couple good free agents left, and he everybody got outbid for Jason Hayward. Right, but he really he was he was I mean he was like a dollar short for Justin uh, Upton. What was yeah. that? What was that Hayward 
uh, final signing? Ten, eleven years, three hundred. Wasn't it three ten? Three ten for over eleven years. So. Nice. Hey, um, and Max so, but anyway, so he wanted money to burn, so he ended up getting in late on the Ben Zobrist bidding. Yeah, uh, he out totally fucked with me. Hundred million dollar offer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that got ridiculous. I hey, couldn't believe Ben Zobrist is getting off of that kind of money. Max, do you um, do you do you make up like off? And you don't have to give your hand here, but like, let's say I'm I'm voting for Upton, and, and I say, hey, I'll give Upton five one twenty. Even if you don't have another offer, were you saying, oh, you know what? He's got five one forty in hand. Kind of like uh, how real. No, for the top free agents, I don't have to bluff because okay. they you guys do a good job driving the price up. So Hayward. I mean, Hayward, Upton, Granke, Zobrist, those guys were getting pushed by the market. Uh, the guys I had to bluff a little bit were kind of more the mid-tier guys. Like Chris Davis was kind of a slow-developing market. And I had to cut, you know, people were offering like 480, uh, four years, $80 million at first. And so I was like, oh, no, he's got a $100 million deal on the table. Can you do that? And okay. I think once those bigger guys started going off the table, it started – it started to uh, turn the people started turning the attention to him and I didn't have to bluff but well, yeah, I, don't, I don't have to bluff too much for those guys the outfield market in general got pretty ridiculous this year just because of the sheer volume of players that yeah. were available Did, uh, yeah and it's always interesting like the mid-tier guy you know Cespedes and Upton both got 220 million guaranteed I believe which I, I mean, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what these guys get in real life I think I compared it Two years ago, and it wasn't really that far off. Uh, last year, I think got a little more ridiculous um, with like the Scherzer deal that we did last year. But you know, li- people give real life. Well, Scherzer got a ridiculous deal from the Nationals, though. Yeah, the Scherzer yeah, deal was know, crazy. Scherzer got like, two hundred and ten mil. Something like over a long spirit, like over ten years. Or yeah, something. because they did the deferred payment. Right. Right. They deferred. De- Payments of seven million dollars for ten years at the end. Yeah, yeah. And Dugan, you made a big deal too, didn't you? Didn't you try to structure something around Scherzer's contract? Be, I basically used Scherzer as the idea for signing Gord. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's right. And what was Which, that ended up being? Do you remember? Hundred and five guaranteed. Uh, with so basically the way it worked out was, uh, five years at fourteen mil. Uh, and then ten years after at three and a half. Okay. And then there was up to, I think it was twenty five mil in incentives. Uh, at least five of which was relatively realistically obtained. Attained. And I, and I admit I, I kind of botched those negotiations because Josh Ward had a better offer that I lost in the shuffle, and I probably had Gordon signed too early because I think the market would have materialized for him once. Yeah, and, I mean, that's why I was, like, pushing so hard, because I know how this sim goes. Yeah. Like, I was definitely trying to get Gordon signed yeah. as fast as possible, because I knew all of the other outfielders were going to go for ridiculous prices. Mm-hmm. And I think subconsciously I wanted Gordon to go there. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Max, and you don't have to say who did it, but who had, what was the most just absolutely lowball offer you got, like, for a, a free agent? Can you recall maybe... Um, I want to say Zach Greinke originally someone offered like a three year like sixty million dollar deal or something like that. Okay. Um, Cespedes I think got some really low deals at first before the bidding got going. Uh, you know it's interesting though like uh, you know a couple of good free agents didn't get any offers at all like Marco Estrada got like a one two year deal and that was it. 
like everyone kind of goes to the same players. It seems like sometimes, like like Ben Zobrist. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a, Yeah, Zobrist just had more, you know, interest than anyone else. It seemed like uh, because I think people are like, oh, he's an undervalued player. But of course, in the sim, yeah, he's not an undervalued player. He's actually a very overvalued player. Right. He's not a hundred million dollar player at all. Uh, and then you get guys like uh, Daniel Murphy or Marco Estrada, who are probably going to get, in, in real life, going to get overpaid contracts because they're not as good as they seem. But in our sim, they don't get any interest because people figure they're overrated, and so they end up going for actually pretty reasonable deals. So, Or, I mean, I got Howie Kendrick at three at right. a year. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah, there was zero interest in him, and, and I think because he had a qualifying offer. And he's older, but he's not. He's still a very good second baseman. You know, he's I mean, that's younger than Zobrist. Deal, yeah, he's a much better deal than Zobrist. So, yeah. How many uh, how many draft picks, Josh? Did you did the Royals just lose? Did you only sign one QO guy, or did you do multiple? No, no, just the one. Okay. The Pirates. The Pirates signed a couple a couple QO guys. They signed uh, Ian Kennedy and Daniel did, Murphy. Okay. Did Ian Desmond signed? signed? More. Desmond signed. Uh, he ended up signing the Mets, I believe. Okay. I just, I just wanted to so both of my QO guys got signed eventually yeah and I only signed one QO guy so that is good to know yeah, and Zimmerman, we, uh, Jordan Zimmerman was another one that went for pretty pretty a yeah. good deal but a reasonable deal six six years 144 million to I think Baltimore so that was actually one of the better deals I thought so what do you think you would change for maybe next year or even maybe be you know try to be better at you know as commissioner next year or try to think about Max I think we need a hard cap. I think there's yeah. probably just too much funny money going around. Sure. We need to be kind of strict about, okay, you have $132 million, deal with it. You know, you have 160 And I'll probably do a little more research on teams that are, you know, rebuilding or not rebuilding or going to increase payroll or whatever. Um, other than that, I don't know. Most of the feedback I got was, was pretty much things are going pretty well. Um, you know, I could probably do a better job organizing free agents. Uh, one thing I, I do lose track of, I don't push the free agents that are getting little attention. So, like, Daniel Murphy didn't get very much attention, and Howie Kendrick didn't get much attention. I could probably hype those guys up a little bit more. So, yeah. okay. that's probably something I'll do next year. But the Dodgers, was it New York? Somebody just destroyed their payroll. Was it the Dodgers or New York? The Yankees, when Yankees. they pushed $300 million. <laughs> Which, I think in real life, aren't they actually cutting back way yeah, back? Yeah, they're trying to Cut- go down. Yeah, so, Who yeah, bl- that, was, that was interesting. The guy was a... He was ashamed at all. But he had no no qualms about hitting three hundred million. Who was it that blew? Oh, okay. So yeah, and then the White Sox blew past Rupton, there. That's right. Two ten for Grinky. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. They really spent it. But I, if there's one team that can blow past it. It's it's the Yankees, I guess. So, <laughs> and then when, there's teams like the Nationals, which ended about fifty five million under <laughs> what our uh, soft cap was. Was that by design or just... Uh, yeah, it's by design because that's uh, money that's going into a future Bryce Harper extension. <laughs> um, which is not something that I was able to communicate to the national uh, public uh, over at Fed Baseball. They just weren't having it? or? Yeah, not really. I mean, I forgot to include it in my recap, but I thought it was pretty obvious <laughs> that because I spent... $55 million under what I was being allowed to, that it was probably going to some future allocation, but uh, I got comments saying that I spent too little while simultaneously spending too much. Right. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, what, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what, what changes would you got? Is there any 
tweaks you guys like to see in the future as, as multiple year participants that have been in this? Is there no. things we can do to improve things? Yeah. I, I mean, just a hard cap, you know, like I think it's, it, it continues to baffle my mind that people will like hand out, like use, and some of those, some of the teams will still drop like 30 mil a year on somebody and stay within budget. But it just like, it just doesn't make any sense to me why someone would do that. Yeah, I, I thought the shame would hold people in mind because I don't. Who wants to be the guy that went thirty million over your payroll or paid a hundred million dollars for Ben's overs? But I, you know, I guess once you get in that bidding war, I, you know, I've never been a GM, so I don't in this simulation, so I don't know how yeah. it goes. But uh, you know, maybe you just get caught up in the moment. You feel like you have to get someone. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I ended up in a spot where I vastly overpaid for Dexter Fowler because I knew. After seeing where the Hayward contract ended up, I knew where Cespedes and Upton were going to be headed. Um, and so I decided to try and sign Fowler as fast as I possibly could. So I just agreed to all of his demands, basically, <laughs> as uh, the negotiation was going on. And then, But there was, there was probably another deal on the table, wasn't there, Max? Yeah, that Fowler definitely had some interest. Uh... Yeah. So... And then Cespedes and Upton both got a hundred million more guaranteed than he did, which I mean they're better players, but that's just ridiculous money as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I wish I was good at negotiating with my wife, and I was at uh, the Sim free agent deals because yeah. I seem to get pretty good contracts for these guys. Now, kudos to the Blue Jays guy who was spot on on his budget. $135 million recommended, right at $135 million. Hard to Hard to ask for more than that. He even made some signings, it looks like, too. Yeah, pretty good. This is the first year I went past, and I went past by... I, I did take the liberty of applying the $6 million insurance on Vargas's oh, yeah. contract this year. I did apply that like to to the 2016 payroll. Um, and then, of course, uh, Max emailed me to tell me that Salvador Perez's uh, 2016 salary was actually 3.8 instead of 1.5. Yeah, he had some and, salary uh, escalators this year that, with his All-Star yeah, performance. Yeah, with the All-Star, because he had, what, four points, so he had the All-Star selections and the Gold Gloves. And so that upped his, upped his figure by one point, or by 2.3 mil. And so I was, uh, I already had, basically I was just waiting for Chris Young to sign. Because, <laughs> like, I put that offer out there and then Max was, you know, saying he wanted the starting pitcher market to come into, come into shape a little more. Uh, and I think there was one counter, probably, that happened after I made my kind of initial deal, or initial offer to Chris Young, I'm guessing. Um, and so then I was sort of like, well... <laughs> I, I figured three mil wasn't crazy because I think that's all I was over. Maybe four, but yeah. And just so people know, like I set the recommended budget caps as ten percent over what they had as a payroll last year, unless there's some reason to think the team is taking a much different direction. So the Royals were at one hundred twenty-five million. Uh, yeah, and I think I was at one twenty-eight point something, yeah. maybe one twenty-nine. And th- there was one other suitor for Chris Young, but it was and the. Ro- well, one other major league off. Oh man! Oh, so we had some audio issues here. Uh, 
Hey, hey, Dugan, did you get any fun trade like offers for like Royals prospects or anything, or even their players? You don't have to say who uh, offered them, but oh, I, w- I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be hesitant to. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, people were, people were, a lot of people inquired about Dyson. Oh, yeah. thinking, and it wasn't just Royals fans. Like it, it wasn't just like the owners who were. Yeah, who who were Royals Review commenters? The <laughs> all GMs did acquire inquire about Dyson. <laughs> they all did too. Yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dyson Dyson was the big like almost everybody inquired about him. Um, and then like I didn't have to do much talking down on getting Omar Infante dealt. Really? Like it was basically Omar Infante and Omar Infante and two prospects were Charlie Morton. Yeah. It was like Selman and somebody else, yeah. Selman and Eibner. Okay, so basically... Neither of whom are prospects in yeah, my book. But. Really? Okay. I figured maybe you'd have something, but... Yeah, and your moves are pretty quiet. I mean, other... Basically, you were all additions. You didn't really lose anybody. Other, You know, you lost Infante, but you didn't give up prospects, really. You just kind of added on via... I wouldn't say I lost Infante. Yeah, true. <laughs> you gained... I think we gained by... But who, who do you have at second base now? Well, Kendrick, right? Yeah, Kendrick. Okay. That's right. Okay. So I think you, I think you, you made the team better without sacrificing the future. Yeah. So. Well, sacrifice. I mean, I did sign Gordon to a five-year, five-year yeah. five deal. I definitely uh, gave something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't do anything crazy this year. There's not much to do, really. Yeah. Um. Were you going all in for twenty? Not not fully all in. No, but... I mean, I was trying to field another contender. Yeah. You know, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have signed Kendrick. You know, I would have, I would have gone. Uh, lower key, but yeah, I'm relatively. I feel pretty good about the rotation, you know. With it's what it was because uh, I plan on moving. I would move Duffy to the bullpen, um, and so I was looking at it as basically Medlin, Ventura, Volquez, uh, you know, as the top three with uh, Morton as a solid four and Chris Young as a five. Which isn't a great, it's not a great rotation, but if the bullpen's good enough, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, perfect time because we're, for some reason, have audio issues right now, at least on my end. I feel like everybody is hearing this too, so. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, listeners, apologies for the last, like, ten minutes or so, but uh, thankfully you won't have to put up with it any longer. Um, so here's a great place to stop. Uh, as always... Keep reading Royals Review. Keep listening to Royals Review Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Max, our overlord, Max Reaper. Uh, you can follow Max on Twitter at Max. What's your Twitter? Uh, Max Reaper. M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R. Yes. And, uh, of course, thanks to uh, Josh Ward, who's going to be a Kansas City native for the time being. Uh, Josh, your Twitter is what? J underscore Go ahead. I don't even want to guess at it. J underscore K underscore W-A-R-D. Awesome. And uh, finally, uh, our... Royal Shadow and the post is already up, right? The Shadow post. No, no, I'm. I was working on it still. Okay. I I've been on set the whole the whole week. Okay. It's been bad. Yeah, you're no one time. Of, you're a star, so I know that you know. No, no, I'm a PA. <laughs> Very Josh is different. an actor secretly, uh, but you know he's just waiting for to get his break, and then he's making so much good dough right now writing for Royals Review that he doesn't even. I mean, he could take little underling jobs like a PA, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so thanks, Max. Thanks for hooking us up. But anyways, and uh, you can follow Josh on Twitter. Josh, what is that Twitter handle? At Old Man 
Dugan. Dugan's D-U-G-G-A-N. Yes, and then I'm your usual co-host, uh, Sean Newkirk here. Uh, my Twitter's uh, Sean Core, S-H-A-U-N-C-O-R-E. Um, guys, what did we miss? Anything? Okay. We got it. Doesn't sound like it. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, uh, stay tuned. We'll have uh, more to come. Obviously, more off-season stuff from Royals Review. And uh, thanks for listening. And have many, uh, many good days. Time.